Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast. I'm so excited for my interview today with Laura Calandrella. And uh, she's a collaborative strategist, a dialogue facilitator, and leadership coach. And she's been working with uh, wildland firefighters and, and leadership. And I'm so excited for this conversation. And uh, we actually connected through one of my clients and just so happy about this and so happy we connected. And, and Laura, can you um, introduce yourself to the, to the audience and, and we'll get going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Thomas pretty much has described some of my work, but that is somewhat nebulous. It's hard to sometimes understand what a collaborative strategist is and how that fits together um, with leadership coaching. But my work really focuses on helping groups and teams and organizations and um, not just single organizations, but multiple organizations work together to create change. I come from a natural resources background and all of my work really focuses on teams that are dealing with natural resource issues, which the connection to leadership then is that we are being asked more and more within our fields to not only create change within our organizations or our teams, but at a, at a scope and a scale that's unprecedented. Um, and in the wildland fire community in particular, we, we know very well that the issues get more complex, that the the incidents and the seasons are lasting longer. And so leadership becomes even that much more important. So how we work together, how we collaborate um, is really key and central to that. So yeah, that's a little bit about my work without diving in too deep to the history. That's so amazing. I, I love that tie into natural resources and your background in wildland fire. I feel like that really gives you an edge and and, you know, I'm curious on like, how did you go from wildland fire and get into coaching? How did that happen? <laughs> I actually went backwards. I went from coaching in, into wildland fire. Um, so I started out, out my career in working internationally and then, then moved into NGO work and then into the Forest Service. And one of the things that I saw pretty consistently was that we were, we were trying to look at issues from multiple angles and we were trying to figure out how to create change that was external, right? Like in the, in the natural world, how to asking the question, how do we bring all of our resources together to make this change? And as I worked as a, I was largely facilitating strategy um, and helping groups to work, work together, sometimes on a project management basis and really started to see that it wasn't, the external change that we needed to focus on first, it was the, the internal change and internal to ourselves as well as internal to our team. So I got really interested in what motivates behavior change. How do people align values? Um, how do people even recognize personal values or organizational cultural values? And dove into really this, the neuroscience behind it, the um, adult development and adult education pieces behind it. And there's a whole, there's a whole back, a whole, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, theory of work that is around creating systems level change. So again, going back to the wildfire example, we know that um, it's not just one particular thing that you, that one particular environmental issue or social issue, there's a whole complex, you know, in, in your language, there's lots of values at risk. And so how do you how do you look at a whole system and make change? Um, so recognizing that, that was when I, I went for um, training and leadership coaching, really starting at the individual level and got super interested in that. And it just progressed from there and then moved into wild, <laughs> wildland fire because really within the natural resource agencies, I found that a lot of the a lot of the more cutting edge leadership development work was happening in wildland fire, partially just because there's a lot of money <laughs> um, within the budget for people to be, you know, dedicating towards towards different types of training. And there's pockets of um, really innovative people and innovative thinking around leadership, knowing that just all of the the L courses aren't necessarily sufficient for the work that you all are doing. They're key and important, but there needs to be something additional to that. So I got pulled in uh, because of my background and because of my my training and education. Wow, that's so amazing to go from coaching to wildland fire. 
you know, 10 years out there in the field and then back to coaching and, and everything you went through with the neuroscience and the, the leadership building. And, and there's so many tools out there that you have in your experience. Like that is amazing. And, and, you know, uh, one of the tools I know you work with is the 360 leadership. Can you tell us like, what is that and how does that work? Yeah. So that is one of the, that was the bridge, the leadership circle profile 360 was actually my bridge from my training as a, as a leadership coach into a lot of the neuroscience and theories around how do adults develop. So one of the things that we are really cognizant of is that children go through stages of development. You can look at a child who's two and know what their cognitive abilities are Um, understand that they look at the world differently than like an eight-year-old who is or a 10-year-old who's starting to have more rational thinking um, versus a teenager who's starting to rebel. And we see those stages of development um, very clearly and they are chronological in order, meaning meaning that we at certain at certain age points you're going to your brain, your physical brain is changing. Um, and you're starting to develop more of a sense of self and that independence and figuring out who you are in the world. But that that tends to go right up until the age of 24 and 25, our development stages, um, at which point our brains are pretty much fully formed. And all of the experiences that we've had up until that point are the frame for which we see the world and the rules that we've created, the assumptions, the beliefs that determine how we essentially act then and how we respond to the situations around us. Um, So there's kind of two ways to look at it. Those strategies or those beliefs and assumptions have made it made us really successful. They are how we've been able to move through life and um, on some cases survive and in some cases thrive. But at a certain point, if you're wanting to take a further step into leadership and you're wanting to push towards greater purpose and greater vision in your life, that development needs to continue. The leadership circle profile, what it does is it measures stages of adult development. And there, we, we do know that there are specific stages of adult development. However, they're not tied to chronological age. They're tied to experiences and intentional, um, in, sort of intentionally breaking down our, our old patterns of thinking, our old beliefs, our limiting beliefs, um, the assumptions that are hiding underneath the surface that may prevent us from from taking risks, from moving towards a more purposeful life, and the three that's what the three sixty assessment looks at is where are we in our stages of adult development and how do we move from a reactive state of being, so just kind of reacting to the situations that are in front front of us, using those old those old patterns versus a creative way of seeing the world and a creative way of leading, which sometimes that word creative can trip people up because we think of artists, right? Or we think of somebody going out into the world to do something that is more artistic. And creativity really at its core is about creating something, having a vision and bringing it into creation. And as leaders, that's what we're being called to, particularly with the issues that we're facing. And it's why I you know, it's why I don't do leadership coaching or organizational development um, or the 360 with just corp- like corporations. There is a place for that. And there are people that can do that very well. But I'm I'm really interested in working with the group of people who are already driven towards a mission. They are really heart centered and purpose centered. And I think that this tool in particular um, kind of shakes up the traditional frame of how we think about leadership and and gives us a, a new path forward um, that's not only relevant in our work, but in our life. Wow, that's amazing. So it really, yeah, I've never thought of this, like, uh, basically this adult change in, in how we're growing and changing as adults, you know, past that 25 years old. And, you know, personally, I feel like, you know, I didn't grow up until I was 29 or, you know, 28 even, Um and, and I think a lot of males do feel like that sometimes out there with the brain development. And, and that's just such an amazing idea that we're just going to keep growing through experiences and it, it's not chronological. I love that idea. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how, how does, in your experience, like how does leadership really affect a team? Like what is, what is, how does that work? 
Yeah, yeah. How does leadership affect teen? That's a great question because there's multiple angles to look at it. And I guess I would, I would throw it back on you. And I don't mean to become the interviewee, uh, but this is also what I do as a coach. Is what is your definition of leadership? Well, you know, I really, um, you know, coming from the NLP background and my my coaching stuff is is I like to find a model of somebody that's a really good say leader and model that person, but also maybe model three or four different people and really see, see what those other models are doing as well and create my own, you know, representation of what is leadership. And I, and I feel like, I think the biggest thing that I think leadership is, is taking ownership and taking ownership of, of, you know, being good at your job, being proficient, but also taking ownership of when you make mistakes. And I, I think that, is one of the most important things in a leader. And I think that trickles down to a team really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of qualities that you just mentioned in your definition of leadership. There's a there's a piece of authenticity that's important to you. There's a piece of vulnerability that's important to you. There's a piece of you're looking at role at role models and in turn becoming a role model. So being in doing that, you have to be really clear about what your values are and that you're walking your talk, that you are modeling those things that are important to you so that there's alignment. Um, and so how, how does that affect the team? So I think again, we, we, especially in, in the command and control, the paramilitary world of fire, we think about hierarchical leadership think there's an understanding within wildland fire that everyone leads and everyone is contributes contributes to leadership but that still you know the the holistic nature of that still isn't fully formed um, i think there's still a lot of deference almost to hierarchical leadership so leadership to me when and especially no matter who I'm working with I kind of take the position out of my mind because it is about everyone collectively knowing who they are as a leader and stepping up to create create the the atmosphere to create the you know the purpose to contribute to the vision to be to build relationships to offer their authentic gifts to create results and drive strategy um, and so when I think about the impact of everyone on a team doing that versus just having to have one person do that or one person carry the load, there's monumental results that can happen from that. And it's not just the outcomes you know, on a fire or within an organization, but it's also the way that we lift one another up to be even better wherever it is that we go from there, if we leave the team or if we stay. Yeah, I love that. You know, really, I think in my experience, the most powerful wildland fire teams really do have this atmosphere of of being able to lead up, being able to really say what they need to and feel comfortable with that and be able to lead up as a team you know, as, as a squad, as a crew, as a division, right? Like, I, I think that's a really important piece of all of that is, is um, that team cohesiveness that you're talking about. That's amazing. And I kind of want to go back to values because that's so interesting that, you know, leadership, we got to have our values really clear. I love that. And my question to you is, is sometimes do our values hold us back or is there ways to change or rearrange our values to like better serve ourselves? Thomas, really the, the first piece of that, the first step is getting really clear on our values. And what I often find in coaching is that understanding what our values are is an iterative process. I think we grab onto those words that we hear a lot or that are listed on a um, on some on some piece of paper in a in a meeting room, you know, integrity or integrity is one that comes up. And that's not that that can't be a value or we talk about family as a value and it's not that that can't be a value. But what does that actually mean to you? Values are very personal. And so getting to the heart of 
what are my values? How is it that I express them through my work and my life? So let's say family is a value that that you hold. Dig deeper. So for me, um, family family is more. It's a richer piece of community. It's not just you know the my my four immediate family members. Um, it's how I'm in relationship with people that come in and out of my life for periods or seasons of time. So there's um, freedom for me personally, freedom is another value. So what freedom might mean to you, Thomas, might mean something completely different to me. And understanding those nuances and those differences is critical because when we aren't clear on that and we're feeling some sort of dissonance, it's usually because one of our values isn't somehow being honored or expressed in our life. And that's very coachy language, honored or expressed. But um, so I'll try, I'll say it a different way is that we're not living it. We're not um, in some way we're being prevented from whether we're preventing ourselves or we're in an environment where we're not sure how to get help in, in, um, and making sure that we can somehow use that value in a way that benefits ourselves as well as others, then, then that, you know, that's when it really starts to become more critical. You asked, sorry. So go back to, go back to your original question. I kind of went off on a tangent. Yeah. I think, I think you hit on it as really getting really clear. And if that, that value is not serving you, then it's, then it's really critical to start looking at that in a deeper way and maybe, reframing, redefining, or changing, right? Yeah. Yes. That was what you asked me. You asked me how, um, how do we realign them? So I'll give you an example of something that I worked on with a, with a client for a while. Um, so she kind of was, was frustrated with herself because she saw herself as a perfectionist. So that was, and she, she didn't want to be such a perfectionist and she didn't, and she knew that it was having an impact on her team. Um, and so we kind of dug around on that. Like, how does that look? When does, when does perfection or striving for perfection feel good? And when does it feel like it might be a detriment to you? And as we had that conversation, what really came to the surface is that it's not necessarily perfection. It's excellence. She strives for excellence. And so if she can, if she can reframe perfection into excellence, if she can start to think, okay, I'm not, this doesn't have to be perfect. I just want my team to excel. I want, um, I want to excel. I want a, a product that excels, but knowing that she can support her people in doing that, it, it's softer, right? It's, you don't have such a death grip on this idea of the outcome has to be perfect. And um, so what we did is we tried to make that a little bit lighter, like not, not quite as heavy. Um, and so here's what she came up with. Now you can debate whether this particular description of it represents excellence to you, right? It's all an interpretation, but she called it her Starbucks value um, because she saw Starbucks as you knew that you were going to get something good every time you went, you knew what to expect you knew that there was consistency. And that's really what she was looking for. She wanted to be consistent. She wanted to provide a good good product. She wanted to provide a, a good environment. So do you see how that flipped for her from perfection to excellence, but digging even deeper into something that was metaphorical for her that she could see even outside of herself? Yeah, that's amazing. And really, you know, going really deep into you know, I feel like in the coaching world, that's that's what everything is about is going as deep as we can and then reframing or redefining and changing uh, maybe that limiting belief or maybe that, you know, that rut of, of being a perfectionist or being the bully or being whatever, whatever is going on for you. You know, I think that's like, that's, that's so beautiful. And I love that story because that's, that's real world stuff right there, mm-hmm. right there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I wanted to go, um, you know, I'm curious on, so you've been in wildland fire, you've been in leadership for a while and have you been noticing or seeing, or even hearing about kind of a cultural change that's going on right now within the wildland fire community of maybe more holistic health, more mindset, more meditation, those, 
more, you know, different types of approaches to problem solving or uh, health and, and mental health, really. Yeah, well, and I think you are a perfect example of that, right? Your journey. Yes. Into it. <laughs> I mean, I think just culturally, outside of fire, I mean, just in general, I think that there's this melding right now of sort of Eastern, Eastern traditions or Eastern philosophies, things that we like meditation, like mindfulness, um, you know, even the mind body connection that has, has been there in ancient traditions, like, like yoga, um, that those things that used to be considered sort of woo woo or spiritual, um, and didn't necessarily belong in the mainstream, they were only for quote unquote, those types of people have really started to cross into the mainstream because they're melding with science that supports it. So I think that in general, part of the cultural adoption of these practices is because we can actually, we can, we can appeal to the logical brain and say, but this is why it works. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I think that's beautiful. I think that that, that being able to see something that we've intuitively, that the human humans have intuitively known and practice for, um, you know, centuries can now we can use our modern technologies to say, and here's why, it, why it works and it makes both stronger. Um, so I'm seeing that just in general, in, in, in culture, specifically within wildland fire. So I'm not, because I'm not in day to day, every day with wildland firefighters, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a little bit disconnected from it, but I know that, um, like I know that the Forest Service does have, I don't know what her title is, but, um, you know, does have a have somebody at the national level that's focused on mindfulness practices. Um, and she I met her years ago and she came from a fire background. What I know from when I left Wildland Fires that I worked with the National Incident Management Organization and we part of the I did some some the development of some some of the trainings and. So for an example, one of the things that we brought in was something called heart math, which was using a mindfulness and a mind-body practice to basically tune into your body to regulate cortisol, to regulate hormones, so that then you could move into clearer communication um, and into better decision-making. And that was something we were teaching. Um, we, were, we were teaching teams. I know too that I mean some even something like uh, critical incident stress management, the SISM process, that that was something that I think came around in 2013, 2012. I'm not sure exactly what what year, um, but that is a nod to us recognizing that there's some there's some serious effects of the work that people do. And there's a need to take care of the person and to teach people how to take care of themselves. So I definitely see a cultural shift. And I think that that will only continue to grow largely because of people like you who are seeing the need for it and really stepping in to offer something. Wow. That's so amazing that you guys were working with heart math and, um, I just got to talk about my book here for a second because, yeah. you know, Awakened by Heart Fire is, is all about connecting to your heart. And I actually do bring in some heart math techniques into it. But the, the biggest thing is, is connecting to that heart and hearing yourself, like truly listening to yourself and following your gut out there on the fire line. I just, I just learned that so much out there in the field that I had to, I had to write about it and bring it to to really like, I want to, I want that book to be mainstream fire knowledge because it's so powerful to, you know, look at a tree that's on fire. They're like, well, should I cut this? Well, let me close my eyes for, you know, five seconds, take a breath, focus on my heart, listen to my gut. And you're going to get a clear answer. You're going to get a clear answer of like, no, this tree is probably going to kill me or I'm okay with taking this risk. Right. And I think that's such a different way of fighting fire than we do right now. And mm -hmm. And uh, I love bringing that heart math. Like, I'm so happy you said that because that's so powerful, so amazing. And Well, no, I, so I was going to ask you, one of the things that in the training was it, it initially it's getting people comfortable with a different way of approaching decision making and getting people to a place of um, 
like it's okay to to tap into that intuition and it's okay to tap into that gut instinct and to like it's okay to connect with your heart and again here with heart math you know there's science that that we use to make it more comfortable but i'm curious in your in your situation how did you overcome that initial resistance if there was any well you know that's that's a, a pretty long story i think and i'll make it shorter and that is that um when i was younger my teenage years uh i went through a lot of anger i went through a lot of mental health crises if you will with, with just anger in general and divorce and all this kind of stuff in my life um, and eventually turned to drugs and it got really bad i was a very troubled teenager and I actually had a near-death experience with drugs when I was, oh, maybe 15. And that woke me up immediately to, you know, I went from the day before being a really terrible teenager, terrible to my mother, just a terrible person in general in a lot of ways to, you know, I literally died that day. Um, and when I came back, it was like I was a new person. Next thing I knew, I was reading three, four books a week. I was meditating. I was taking Kung Fu classes. I was in yoga classes. I was doing Tai Chi three, four days a week, right? And and meditating for a couple of days or a couple hours a day. And it was just like my grades went from nothing to all of a sudden I was getting 4.0s and like my whole life shifted. And so that's when I, that's yeah. that was the real trigger for me to be like open to um, all sorts of stuff. And I would say that I'm probably one of the most open-minded people out there because it's like, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll, I'll try it. You know what I mean? Or, or let's entertain this idea or let's, let's, let's give it a chance because, um, it could work. Uh, and so that's where my opening came from. And I, and I think I had other near-death experiences. They weren't so severe, um, other spiritual experiences, like my awakening experience a couple of years ago was totally earth shattering again. Um, and, and those types of experiences, um, really opened my eyes to, there's a lot more going on than just what we're seeing with our eyes. Mm -hmm. Thomas, that's a perfect story to tell going back to what I was saying about adult development. Um, because Years ago, I was at a conference at the University of Michigan, and this one speaker stuck out. And I really only remember one thing that he said, and it was, <laughs> it was about we were talking. He was talking about adult development, and in the research behind adult development and how adults move from one stage to another, there's historically have been two ways that we up level in the way that you're talking about, and the first is some sort of major identity crisis or identity shift. Um, and then the second is some sort of spiritual awakening or like you were having near death experiences. And so that, I mean, but we don't want people to have to go through that kind of crisis to be able to step into leadership. And so the work, you know, around the leadership circle profile or really the work around adult development looks at how can we create safe, what, what I call safe to fail experiments that let people kind of, <laughs> I want to say die many deaths, but I don't even want it to, to sound that scary, um, to, to start to chip away at, at limiting beliefs because we don't want, I mean, if, it, if, if the way that we all get better collectively is that we all have to have some sort of major identity shift, um, that could be you know, that could be pretty overwhelming for us as a world. I mean, maybe to some extent we're having that right now. Who knows with the pandemic, maybe this is part of a spiritual awakening. I mean, certainly I think there have been points, you know, throughout history, but I just think it's interesting that you, that you told that story and you're at where you're at in your work and in your life, because that's, you know, that's an example of how people grow into something different. Yeah, it's so, so interesting you mentioned identity crisis and that's you know i'll go back to my my awakening experience a couple of years ago really did create a very real identity crisis for me um and you're right we don't want people to go through that it's it, i'll tell you right now a spiritual awakening like that is just horrendous it takes a lot of work to come back to come back to being feeling normal um 
And uh, also, you know, I really think the, uh, the, <laughs> um, so you were talking about, so, so you, I'm just going to cue off of something that I thought was interesting there. So if we don't, um, if we, you know, it does take a lot to come back from, from major shifts in identity, even if it's not a crisis, if, if it's just like I became a parent, right, that's a whole new identity. So, you know, I, how do we create shifts for people that are easier to come back from? Yeah. So, so what I was trying to get out there was really, you know, I had this major awakening experience uh, a couple years ago and it was, uh, I can just tell you right now, it was really hard to come back from that. And, and it took a lot of work to come back and feel normal. But through this journey, I found this process of mental emotional release and MER and breakthrough sessions. And, and just like, we can help people break through limiting beliefs and negative emotions, you know, through coaching, through therapy. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It takes, you know, a lot of questioning, a lot of reframing, and it takes time. But what's so amazing about this breakthrough session work that I've been doing with my clients is that, you know, within three to four hours of a, you know, hypnosis type meditation, guided meditation type scenario, uh, they're going back through their timeline and they're they're going back to the initial event that caused the sadness or the fear that's, you know, from that ages of zero to seven and they're truly releasing it and also releasing the mm -hmm. limiting beliefs with, with the negative emotions mm -hmm. and the trauma. And it's, you know, going through my own breakthrough session, it's just unbelievable the limiting beliefs we all carry and how that affects our day-to-day -day life and how I can truly see, I think this is one of the biggest points I want to ask you is, is really, I think in my experience and what drives me so much every single day on this mission with, with wildland fire and mental health is that I feel like I'd get out there on the mountain, you know, as a crew boss or engine boss or give a squad boss or whatever it is, and you get out there and that field supervisor is just losing it. Like that task force leader is just losing it. And he's just, all those limiting beliefs, negative emotions are just spilling out all over for the whole division to see. You can just see it in their body language and the way they're leading themselves. And it's just like, it's just like, man, you just gotta take a breath. Like it's okay. Like you can just see that person just totally failing inside themselves and they're doing an okay job, but it's like, it really affects the team. It affects everybody and it affects our safety, I think, in the long run. And that's that's why I'm so committed to this. That's what drives me so much in that. And kind of what I want to get back to is, is the limiting beliefs and the negative emotions are, I think, a centerpiece of how do we become a good leader? We got to work on ourselves and we got to really let go of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes... A lot of work and it's a lifetime of work and it's not always a straightforward progression because we can move through a limiting belief that might be impacting one piece of our life and suddenly it pops up somewhere else um, and that's okay so we we come back and we we understand it in a different way and we work with it in a different way and you're right you can see the more that you do your own leadership development work and your own personal work and are confronting, you know, these, these beliefs that do drive us there. They, it is the framework that we've developed from zero to 25, again, to be successful, right? We didn't get to, we didn't put these things in place because they were tanking us. Like you said, they're doing a good job. Um, but to be even more effective, it means taking the time to understand how there are different beliefs or new beliefs or new ways of looking at the world, new risks to take that might prove to be even more um, creative, more fulfilling, um, easier even, you know, which that to me, it's going back to what you said. Okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try all of these things because who knows? And, and that's, it's a risk to do that. Um, but you don't know, you don't know what will come out the other side. Right. Right. And yeah, I'm really curious on, on really like, okay. So I'm, I'm really curious on, 
on your thoughts on this, on how, you know, leadership development and like we're talking about really diving deep into self-work and how this relates to human factors and safety. And, and I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Wow. How long do we have <laughs> to talk about this? Um, it, it's, it's core. It's critical. Uh, in high risk situations, if you, if a person is, not aware of some of the most instinctual patterns, I guess they could, I could say, or ways of thinking or um, ways of reacting. So going back to reactive leadership versus creative leadership, if there's not a heightened awareness of that, and when we're in really high fight or flight mode, um, you're going to go to that thing that maybe isn't the smartest move for the team as a whole. And so to be able to take that pause, um, to not just rely on, you know, in, in the world of fire, to not just rely on the slides that have been there before, but to check in on multiple levels, right? We want to use all of our senses, all of our capacities, and then really kind of check ourselves, um, as to where we might not only be getting in our way, but in, you know, in, in our team's way. Um, so, oh gosh, I, I think especially in, I think especially in high risk environments, there's no better work to do than daily personal work. Um, and I know that that, that can feel overwhelming to people too, because it's hard to be insightful all of the time and work on yourself all of the time. But that's how you get to be a really good leader for your for your team um, and for delivering results on the ground as well. The the human dimensions, particularly as they relate to how we communicate and how we make decisions, um, that's that it's an internal to external expression. Yeah. And, and I guess I'll, I'll second that with, uh, I think kind of the mindset that I've, I've modeled from the ancient Hawaiians, you know, from Huna is really having this mindset of like, when somebody triggers you, makes you angry or sad or fearful, it's like, it's a, it's a gratitude of like, thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate that, that you made me feel that way because now there's something highlighted inside myself that it's like, oh, I do need to work on that. And I think that's such a good mm -hmm. reframe and such a powerful way to, to really continually do personal work. And I'll just say that for the listeners that that mindset is, is unbelievable. It will change your life. And, uh, you know, to, to, to keep going a little bit, I think, um, you know, I'm curious on like, how is this process of, of what you do as a coach, what you do with the 360 leadership, like how is this different than what's being offered by, you know, some of the government agencies that the wildland firefighters work for? Yeah, I find that, so we'll talk about 360s first. I find that most of the, most 360s out there, not just the ones that are being used, um, within the natural resource agencies at a federal or even at a state level, um, they're, they're managing, they're measuring management, right? They're measuring how do we, and more task or technical aspects of, I don't even want to say leadership, but of, of, of I guess I will, of leadership. Like, how do we you know, kind of move through the day to day. It's not looking at those underlying beliefs, the how we grow into being leaders of purpose, how we grow into um, creating a life that's intentional in a way that's authentic to ourselves while also being supportive of others and achieving results. So there's three, there's three creative competencies that all effective leaders have. That's their ability to um, use, use relationship or to be in relationship with others and to foster relationship among others. There is, um, the ability to drive results, you know, be strategic and, and really look at outcomes through vision. And then there's that 
piece of authenticity of, of values expressions that people can see who that leader is uniquely. Um, and the, you know, the vulnerability piece of that too, you don't see that measured in a lot of 360s and you don't really see that trained in any of the traditional wildland fire courses. I, th- I mean, I think that there are elements of that in some of, some of the courses and, but you know what that depends on Thomas, it depends on who's actually teaching it and how, um, sort of how, do, how much they've done their own work. So, you know, I, I, I encourage people to pull in all sorts of tools because there's things like Myers-Briggs that help. There's things like DISC profile that help. Um, Myers-Briggs being more of sort of how we, it's more personality based and DISC being more how we communicate. All of those tools are great. Um, Take them one by one. But if we're really talking about effective leadership, even if you're not working with the leadership circle profile, there's a great book. Um, called Immunity to Change, and it's it's connected to Leadership Circle Profile. It was written by two professors out of the Graduate School of Education at Harvard, um, who who I've worked with as well. But Immunity to Change talks about how do we overcome our resistance to change, really f- getting back to those um, to to different to different mindsets. And what's cool, and I'll just tease people in there, is that. One of the case studies is around wildland fire and the Forest Service, and so I just I won't tell you the story. I just go encourage you to read it. Um, particularly interesting because this book was written, I think, in like 1999 or 2000, and you see a lot of the same cultural beliefs still showing up in wildland fire. So we, I mean, when I we talk about how tools have or haven't worked, um, current or existing tools for, that people might be exposed to. Um, you know, it's because we're really not getting at what's underneath leadership competencies. Right. And I think for me at the core of this conversation is really like the stigma behind talking about your emotions, talking about your feelings and being that vulnerable leader. And I think that's, that's a major detriment to the entire organization at this point, in my opinion, is is not talking about, I think the most dangerous thing on the fire line is the human factors. Like we have to talk about that, but we Mm -hmm. don't. All we talk about is fuels, topography, you know, fire behavior, weather. Um, But where's the human factors? Like, can we talk about that more, right? Yeah. You know, it's, I just wrapped, um, wrapped a training within the wildland fire community. And so I did about 30 different coaching sessions. And the beautiful thing is Thomas is that sitting with somebody one-on-one and getting to their human story and having them really dive into what is important to them um, and what have been key experiences and what do they want for themselves you know, and, and what's standing in their way. There's not a single time that I end up in a, in a one-on-one coaching session where I can't get to the heart of the human. We're all human. We all want to connect in that way. And so it's, it's work like you do. It's work like I do that starts to break down those barriers and make it safe for people to do that. And hopefully then ripples out to the rest of the, the organization and even to the fire line. Right. Right. And, you know, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about um, like what kind of results have you seen with your clients and particularly, you know, wildland firefighters and, and leadership and things like that? Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's, you know, it, it, there's two things that I would say is that um, when when I've seen the most success, it has been in in really multi-year kinds of efforts that have that have hierarchical leadership support um, for continued work, right? One of the biggest issues with leadership development, a problem that I have is that we drop people into these trainings, right? Especially if there's um, like special trainings, you get dropped into to a training, and then you get pulled back into an organization that hasn't learned and grown with you. And so here you are 
having this greater self-awareness, wanting to, you know, apply it. And you're in an organization, you're in a piece of the organization or on a team that doesn't, doesn't understand. Um, so what is most important in our line of work is that we, that we start to work on creating deliberately developmental organizations that, that we, that it's not just trainings that are happening, these one-off trainings or these trainings that are supported by a, um, by like a, like a, like a training crew for a certain period of time, but how do we actually change the culture? Um, and so when I've seen people that are most successful, it's been in cultural shifts or what I see that they do is they leave to go find the culture that would support continued learning and growth. But it, that has to be, um, becoming a deliberately developmental organization means that everyone from top to bottom has is working on themselves and is transparent and working on themselves and you know that they share that as part of the work of you know not it's not just mission driven outcomes right right that sounds amazing that sounds like a powerful wildland fire crew to me just being totally transparent of what's going on, you know, how are you feeling that day? What are you thinking? And yeah, that just sounds amazing. And, and, you know, actually what you're talking about is, is a culture shift And at the crew level, at the regional level, at the national level, you know, is really the dream, right. Of, of, of both of us. And uh, right now, you know, I, I got to plug my new book a little bit because I'm, I'm working on this, um, the working title is The Psychology of Excellence in Wildland Fire. And it's really everything that I've learned in coaching and NLP and breakthrough sessions and being out there on the line and being a fitness trainer and nutritionist. It's like, let's put all of that together, like mind, body, spirit, and make a super firefighter. And my mm. goal is to have that book be like in NWCG. That's, that's, that's what mm -hmm. I'm shooting for. And I think that's going to be something like that is going to have to happen for a major culture shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I have seen waves of that, you know, I think that there is a hunger and because of the nature of your work and, you know, it, it comes up most fiercely around fatalities right? Like we get shocked into some sort of reality. Um, we hit at core emotions. We understand we're looking at the human dimensions of things and, but you know, it can fade so quickly. Um, and we slip right back into old, old ways of doing and old ways of being. Um, so yeah, I'm, I really hope that that NWCG, someone from NWCG is listening and says, yes, Thomas, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation we're having because it's just so powerful. And I think there is a lot of hunger out there for, for just mind, body, spirit on the fire line. And, and what is that? What does that mean? And uh, just a holistic approach to decision-making and leadership and Oh my gosh, we've covered so much ground. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I just am grateful to still be working with the wildland fire community. Um, I left the forest service in 2015 and that in, in and of itself felt like a, a big risk. And my last job was in the Southeast region, um, working in fire, working on leadership development or an organizational development. And I didn't know if I, if I would be coming back around to work with the fire community. And it's one of the places that I really do. And I'm not just um, blowing smoke here. I really do see how purpose-driven everyone is. And I see a hunger for leadership and I see a hunger to do better. And I think because of the nature of the work that you do and really just how elevated it is um, across the nation in terms of visibility, that there's a real opportunity for FIRE to change, to create a paradigm shift around, around leadership. So um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be, to be still having a dialogue with you 
with you, with the community, and I'm grateful for continuing to do work. Oh, I feel so blessed to have you on the podcast and and uh, to be friends, really. And and you know, I really yeah. hope we collaborate more on on podcasts, on interviews, on clients. Like, let's just do some stuff together because I think we're both on the same mission. And uh, really, I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you so much for taking your time to speak with me. And and I really want to get you back on the podcast. And uh, yeah, let's go deep into all this stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Um, thank you, Thomas, for inviting me. And definitely, it's a it's a friendship. I think you're probably creating a lot of friends around you with the work that you're doing. So go start a revolution, brother. <laughs> uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, where can people find you? How can they contact you? Yeah, so the easiest way is to go to my website, which is www.lauracalandrella.com. And my last name, um, unless it's just easier, Thomas, for you to put it on the website, is uh, C-A-L-A-N-D-R-E-L-L-A. Or, um, you know, look me up on LinkedIn, too. I'd love to to connect with people. Okay, awesome. And yeah, it'll definitely be in the show notes. Uh, For everybody listening, you can get a hold of Laura and all of her great amazingness. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming. And you know, you can find me on mountainmindtricks.com and Thomas and Worm on Facebook. And please feel free to reach out and uh, we'll all talk to you soon on the next podcast. And I just want you to go out there, go out there and find your sacred ancestry. All right. Talk to you on the next one.